the angst and the rage and the hurt that's at the core of our, our culture over issues that haven't been solved in hundreds of years. Now understanding the depth and power that media holds as we see things that we've never been able to see streamed live. We realize now that we as the people have this media power we've never had. In this episode, I talk with Danny V, founder of the Mahalia Project. He talks about the birth of the Mahalia Project being a platform to rewrite the narratives on social justice issues that are being damn overlooked and simply should not exist in 2020, like human trafficking, toxic masculinity, and racial injustice. Danny V is a creative who uses his skills in digital media to tell powerful stories, advocate, and take action. We talk about the importance of creators using their platforms now more than ever because it's up to us. The revolution will not be televised, but we can change that. Hey, you're listening to Positive AF, the show where we highlight positive action first. Today, I'm here with Danny V, the founder of the Mahalia Project. Danny V, I appreciate your presence here with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Of course. Yeah, man, we connected just a short while ago, but I think we found some amazing synergy and I'd love to share with my audience what you're doing for the rest of the world here. But before we get started on that, what are you grateful for? I'm going to say right now, I'm grateful for the process. I feel like this last few months has been pretty heavy and challenging for a lot of people, but I think that especially now I'm seeing people come together. I think there's a greater wokeness to the sense of unity and just community that we want to have as a people. And I think that we've largely learned to kind of set aside some of the distractions or facades that we've put over real pain or real need for connection. And so even with me, I've been going through different seasons in my life and just, yeah, I'm grateful for, I think, being able to look back and say, wow, that was challenging, but there's glory on the other side of that. There's joy on the other side. Um, there's this verse I go back to a lot. It's joy comes with the morning and that's talking about sorrow weeps, tarries for the night. But it's this idea that when we go through hard times, there's joy on the other side of that. There's a purpose in the hard times. We don't have to just feel like we're going through it for nothing. So I'm super grateful for that grateful for health. I'm grateful for friends. Um, yeah, those are the things that have really been a strong sustenance in my life right now. So, All beautifully, very well said. Yeah, I will say this time has really brought a lot of grief. I think a lot of us in the very beginning of this year, especially when the world had just turned upside down for everybody, couldn't really put the pencil on it. What were we feeling? But I think there was a period of grieving, like, a loss of our normal day-to-days but as we had progressed through the years uh, and now it's the middle of the year already you can kind of look back and see how we've grown as a community from the pain from the grief from the suffering and also identify gaps that were obviously there before but are even now more than ever heightened all right so Absolutely. i think that's a yeah awesome area where we can jump right into your story who you are and what impact that you're making through the Mahalia Project. Absolutely. It's a, it's a longer story. It is um, probably a decade deep at this point, but a little background on me. I formerly worked in a missions media. So I worked for a local um, and national religious organization where essentially I would travel to different countries and make documentary work on third world nations, just people that needed help within those nations, whether it's villages or whatnot, um, water restoration programs, things of that nature. And I just fell in love with visual storytelling, just capturing communities, the power of interview, the power of cinematic film and capture, and how 
much of a visceral connection that brought to especially U.S. culture that for the most part doesn't see these things. Um, in 2013, I learned about the issue of human trafficking and how the predominance of men flying over to buy young girls for sex in third world countries are westernized American males. And so at the time, I had been prepared to go work with an international rescue org in Thailand. And my heart just told me to stay in the U.S. and focus on the narratives here and the people here as the actual consumer of sex tourism rather than the victim. And that wasn't a popular argument at that time. There was a lot of hatred. There was a lot of division out there, men versus women, justice system versus traffickers. And of course, there's actual refute to that. There's need for there to be that tension. So we're identifying and calling to account this issue. But my personal story is I grew up very fed into the narratives of toxic masculinity, who a man should be, how he should behave. And I'll just say it straight out. I bought into this stuff. My understandings of how to treat women and how women were to be perceived or utilized in sexuality came through hip hop. It came through rock music. It came through this glorification of how many girls can you sleep with? How many women are into you? And my male identity was completely bound up in that. Um, that was challenging in high school when I was overweight and I didn't feel like women received me well. And then even in college, I had a drastic turnaround. I lost a ton of weight and suddenly just based on my looks and little on my personality, I was kind of woken with open arms into this frat sexualized culture where I was finally one of the cool guys. And, and I did that. I went to the strip clubs. I went to the parties. I did the things that guys do. And deep down inside, it never fixed my problems. It never, it never helps heal me at a deep level. It was kind of just slapping a bandage over and even more the moral corruption with it, watching women I hurt, watching the real pain and knowing that deep down inside there were stories there that I wasn't even supposed to care about. I felt very trapped. I was like, I can't talk about this as a male. Guys around me didn't get it. There were choice words used anytime I showed emotion that I won't say here, but they were very hurtful and they're very scarring and they still hurt to this day if I hear them. Um, and so out of that focus to stay and work on trafficking in the U.S., one of my big predominances became, okay, what do men and women really need to say? What are women who grew up in a world being taught, oh, you're a sex object or guys will only like you if you have this waist size or this bus size, you know, what do women really want to say? Women on both sides who don't fit that stereotype and even women that do, because I think we look at beauty and we're like, oh, you've got it all together. That's the American facade. And that's also just a deplorable lie that's just as damaging as, oh, you don't fit the ideal. And then really working with men wanting to say, okay, guys, like, I know this is hard. I know this is challenging, but I, as a guy, have seen the mask you put on and I know you're hurting. Um, for a number of years, Mahalia Project, which was formerly called Priceless to reference the idea that you can't put a price on anyone, did advocacy work. We would do Midwest tours where I used to live. We'd go and speak to local organizations, churches, colleges about trafficking and to watch the people that would come up after the presentations. Sometimes it was a room full of 15 people. Sometimes it was three to 500. Um, but you would get people who would come up. And some of them were women and men that had never talked about their abuse. And they would say, on countless times, I've had the conversation where they'd spill a whole bunch of just really heavy stuff. And then say, I don't know why I've told you that. I haven't told anyone in 15 years, or I haven't told anyone ever. Um, and so I realized just the power and depth of conversation. Um, as I worked through my own trauma, moved around different cities in the U.S. to do freelance work and kind of work on this project, 
I found more and more that a catchphrase we use, advocacy is not enough. I didn't just want to talk about information. I didn't want to burden people down with statistics. I wanted to actually help people heal and get set free. And there's this massive romance with psychology and medicine, medicinal treatment, which is all needed. But I think there's such a connection in human expression and healing to art, to dance, to music, to film, photography, whatever it might be, that I saw this immense need to build platforms where people that had been through trauma at any level were able to use those skills not only to work through their own pain, but to create these narratives for other people out there who were hurting. So Mahalia Project slowly formed into this kind of, I wanna say rebellious media organization that actually wants to take one of the main things that are used to exploit, which is modern American mass media, and use that to edify, use that to heal. What if rather than pornography, we had films and captures that were still sexy, still empowering, but told the truth about women, and really met that need for connection, that, that connection that a man wants to have when he's watching pornography but doesn't know how to vocalize and doesn't know how to fill the void with, so he uses this digital signal. What if we had workshops, art forms, connections, films, things of that nature that allowed people to explore that parts of themselves and created a space for honesty? So Mahalia Project has existed in that space for a while, figuring out business incorporation and what all the different levels are a really 100,000 foot goal, creating a nationwide, if not global, arts and media program school that allows people to register and go through therapy at the same time while they create this media and basically build this global media team that's kind of dedicated to taking the media industry back and saying, look, we're at a place as a culture, as, as a human race, where we're tired of the truth not being told, we're tired of agendas being made, we're tired of capitalism and equity being the main drive of our artistry what if we made out of who we really are and i think that film and whatnot's doing that to some degree and that was our goal even right before corona hit but i think that after corona happened and especially now with black lives matter we've seen the angst and the rage and the hurt that's at the core of our, our culture over issues that haven't been solved in hundreds of years to be honest about slavery but probably most notably since the 60s when most of us as Americans were like, oh yeah, you know, it was fixed with Martin Luther King, but it wasn't. And I think now understanding the depth and power that media holds as we see things that we've never been able to see, streamed live, tweeted, Instagrammed, we realize now that we as the people have this media power we've never had, but we also have a huge responsibility because that media can become something that's so quickly damaging and negative and feeds into a hateful narrative. And so right now the film we're working on is a documentary on what's happening directly here in Phoenix, but engaging people nationwide as well. We want to see these stories. We want to represent our black brothers and sisters and say, look, we can make quality media and we know there's a ton of agenda and spin on the mass American media. So let's create a documentary that shows the truth, that takes the hard things that to be honest, white America doesn't wanna hear and put it out there. And that came from a love of just truth in general. As the documentary goes on, we'll build larger pieces that go into sex slavery, that go into different kinds of trauma. But initially in this space, it's been right now, this is happening. These are the people that need our help. And I want Mahalia Project to always be something that responds to the call and be able to adapt as it's needed. So another thing I guess I'm grateful for is that is as challenging as a time as this has been, I was out last night in the protests and to see 
just to see these black brothers and sisters have this voice to see that people are listening. I mean, there are people of all races out there and that there's this message of unity. I think, I think this is the greatest thing that's probably happened with us in racial injustice since Martin Luther King took the Lincoln Memorial steps and delivered his speech. And so that's why we have to tell them about the dream. Um, everything we do has been based on that civil rights movement and that unity and forgiveness and getting people to set aside their differences and say, Hey, I may never understand, but I do stand with you. That's a sign that I saw last night. We don't always have to get it. We don't always have to pretend that we understand the pain, but you can empathize with anyone if you're willing to let go of your own agendas and honestly be uncomfortable. I mean, this is not, we don't do this for fun. This is a very uncomfortable thing, but I'm grateful every day for it. What you're doing is radical to the craziest extent that I can think of because of what you mentioned about media. You have the tools and the skill sets and the network to be able to create a healthy narrative or recreate a healthy narrative and teach people what's going on about what's going on. But even more than that, right? You said you want to do more than just expand knowledge, but you want to actually take action. So that's what you're doing. You're out there also at these protests in the forefront of what's going on and media and responsibility too. Like anybody can have the skills to do this, but it's a social responsibility to use it for good. And that's exactly what you're doing. You mentioned earlier about, you know, masculinity and femininity and having that balance, but through your experience as a male encountering other males who also had these unhealthy ideas of masculinity and were putting a mask on, but you understood that they were hurting. What would you say to someone who is in that situation? What would you say to them to begin the process of healing? Yeah, it's funny because I'm, uh, I'll just be honest about this because you brought it up earlier, therapy and whatnot. I'm actually going through EDMR, which is the uh, great frequency therapy at this point, and just tying back to the cognitive system and the limbic system. Um, I'm going through a lot of this myself. I think through healing, one consistent narrative I've seen is that everybody I've worked with, male or female, has a little person inside that got hurt at a certain age. And you can find this in psychology studies and whatnot that person gets stunted. So for me, most of the time I walk around and I'm in my thirties and I'm fine. But if I get triggered, I'm five years old again. And I don't know what to do with that space. And that little five-year-old whose mother was on drugs and never called on time and never showed up taught me that women leave. They don't care. I'm not important enough. And so because I've had such trouble making that connection, I found other ways to fill it. I'd say the first part of healing and you may have to find professional help to do this and that's completely valid and it's not something to be ashamed of. Or maybe it's just a conversation with a friend or a mentor that you have. And by all means, if these people don't have one, like I would love to talk to them. I'm happy to spend an hour or two hours on the phone. This is what I love to do. Um, talk to that little boy. Like what did he lose? Like what went wrong? And figure out what he's trying to do. And it's hard to get him to be honest or get that little girl to be honest, because they're used to this defense system that says, no, I'm not gonna let you in. And then even when let the older version of you in, they want to stay inside that, that room or that place. But figuring out and being honest and unashamedly taking hold of what that need is. So mine is, yes, I still want to be loved by a woman. And I saw that as a need for a long time, but I will say that over the past few years, being able to work with women that have been hurt, 
I think that I've also found a platform of being able to heal and saying, no, I don't just want to love or be loved by a woman. I want to be a rock and a support for one. And that little boy learns to transition from being a little boy into a man then. The little person has to grow up. The little person has to understand that, yes, the things that happened to me were terrible, but only I can take hold of my future. Only I can get to the next step. So to men, I think, to quote a book I once read, it was, it was quite alarming. It was by a CIA agent, or CIA agent, who had the same name as me, honestly. Super creepy. Um, super cool, actually. He'd worked in Thailand, Cambodia, India. He'd been to notably some of the most deplorable brothels in the world. And he wrote this one chapter about, you know, I went to all these places and I saw all these men and across the board, all of them shared one thing. And I expected him to say they were terrible, they were monsters, the typical rhetoric you hear. And he's like, I would talk with them. I, you know, I had to pose as a customer, so I'd have drinks with them and they would open up and share their story. And while they would be there to buy a 15 year old girl, when they weren't you know, doing that, they would sit at this bar and talk to this guy. He's like, every single one of them was a father that had failed in being a father or lost a marriage or a coach that lost the season or a man that had failed in some way. And the only way he could find his identity was to come to this place and exploit a woman because it was the only kind of control he had. And it broke my heart because it made me feel like, number one, I mean, this little girl is being hurt at the hands of something as frivolous as, oh, the pride of saying I have control. And number two, as controversial as it sounds, those men aren't buying and exploiting women if that pain inside of them has another place to go where it can really heal. So in practical terms, I want Mahalia to work with men like that so we keep them out of places and they're not buying and they're not exploiting and demand is dropping. And I think identity is the key. I think that as young as five or six now, especially with social media, men are being told, hey, bro, here's what you do. And there's no safe space. So to men, I would say, you know, do that inner work find places to do that inner work and resources and don't be ashamed of it. Don't think that it's feminine or that it's strange. If I could encourage any man, I would say a real man, a real leader, you know, accepts women as queens. He edifies them. He lifts them up. And that's the most masculine thing you can do in this world is to be a safe place for the women around you. And the women that don't respect that or the men that don't respect that, they're also just on journeys. You don't ever carry the hatred in your heart and look at that person and elevate yourself. You say, Hey man, I was also there. Like It's just opening that space of empathy and acceptance each time. What you're doing, I really hope that it can impact more people positively as far as expressing themselves healthily. How has practicing positivity and allowing that light to enter your life transformed your life? And what kind of practices do you do that are easy for people to implement? Yeah, I think for me, um, I do a lot of reflection. I do a lot of taking experiences and looking back ways that I remember things and applying them to things I've learned now. A lot of that is just consistent growth and learning. Um, to me, I can go back to some relationships I had or experiences I had and view them through an empathetic lens now and understand them differently. I think there's a lot of that that goes on. I will say, and I will advocate for being in some kind of professional care at this point. A few months ago, I probably wouldn't have, but I think that's vital. I think it's very needed for people that are going to go on this journey. It's just not the only thing. My biggest thing is probably create, create, create. I think that whatever it is you do, painting, sewing, videography, it doesn't really have to be specifically 
one thing. It can be a multitude of things. But I think that's your best base of self-expression if you're a creative person. Um, I think that there's an organic flow of the soul that happens out of that. And it just changes everything. Um, you are healing as you don't even realize. And it also gets you outside of your head. Um, it's a thing that allows you to say, hey, I'm not up here about what's going on. And I think we spend a lot of time in our mind as people that have been through trauma. We try to reprocess and re-understand and tell ourselves it was this person's fault or that person's fault or my fault and I blame myself and justify ourselves out of that. Creative expression allows you to flow out. It allows you to come to a place where you're not in your mind all the time. So doing things that get me outside of my head has probably been the most consistent theme the universe gives me on a daily basis. It's like every day I bump into somebody who's like, oh, I had this problem with overthinking or overanalyzing or, you know, overassuming. Those are a lot of things, just not going to a place where you're attributing other people's behaviors or things that feel triggering to you and calling yourself out and saying, okay, maybe this person didn't text me back or Maybe I did go through this really abusive relationship, understanding basic principles of understanding you don't have to own that stuff. You don't have to listen to the lie that says that was your fault. People always play a role in things and there's not negating that you know relationships and things involve choice. But I know for me, I carried so much of what happened with ex-girlfriends and it always just went back to my parents. Like this person left because fundamentally I was worthless. Um, I've been doing a meditation a lot that's just giving permission for thoughts to come into your mind and just letting them go. And that's also just been something that my therapist has talked about picturing thoughts as like leaves going down a stream and you see it, you understand that thought. You're not fighting this entity inside of yourself that every time it wants to bring up the past, you're like, no, go away. Cause then you're expending energy fighting it. You acknowledge it. And it's almost like that little person inside says, Hey, I want to talk about this right now. And it interrupts your day and you say, Hey man, I understand how you feel. I give, I give validity to how you feel, but this is my life now and I'm not going to live in that moment anymore. Um, other things start to break down. Assumption starts to break down. I think that we're seeing honestly, you know, gross forms of really extreme assumption in our culture right now. That's where being in your head and introducing negativity really leads you to. And this is how out of control it can get. Um, reading is powerful. I don't do it as much as I would, like to do i do read scripture on a, on a daily basis um but there are more books and all sorts of things that i would love to get into i know that one book that's been recommended to me is the four agreements i've looked on it a lot i haven't actually read it but i've heard enough good about it i'm even prepared to recommend it um there's another book it's by i work for a church called hillsong but it's by our lead pastor brian houston it's called live love lead and it's just about a lot of things he went through as a youth with just different extreme traumas now to leading a global church and understanding that the main message of that is even unity, commonality, solidarity. So I think, yeah, to me, those are the things I plug into. Other than that, people, I mean, relationships, getting out, be spontaneous. Don't be afraid some days if you can to leave the office early, kind of like break your own rules. Even if they're those legalistic rules where you're like, well, you know, I've, I've always got to be in bed by eight or, I've always got to do this workout at this time. Um, I'll plug working out too. Shape is super, being in shape is super important for me. Eating well, not much of a drinker, a lot of things that I used to do that I don't. Your physical health is so correlated to your emotional health. I think it's massive to make sure that you're being motivated to consistently keep that up. So 
those are kind of the main things I do. Um, the things that conveniently you don't feel like doing when you're in a trauma state, you just want to shut down. But isolation, I just don't think is your friend at all. There are introverted and extroverted. I'm extroverted. So Corona has been the death of me in a lot of ways where I'm like, I can't even like I'm going to the grocery for community just to have people around. Like it's that serious. So Yeah, you mentioned a lot of amazing practices. One particularly stood out to me that was uh, meditation and the type of meditation that you're doing, allowing a thought to come and then releasing it. Have you ever heard of the poem, The Guest House? It's a really amazing but simple and short poem. Basically, in summary, it talks about our bodies, our human beings. And if you can imagine yourself being a house, and if a guest comes, what do you do? As a good host, you allow that guest to come in. You know, you help that guest out. You maybe offer that guest a drink. And then you allow that guest to be on their way. But in all of that, you're a great host. And so in place of the guest, imagine that being a negative thought or a negative feeling, even a positive thought or a positive feeling, because we are supposed to take every single emotion equally and not place judgment and not judge any guests that comes to our house. And that's something that helps me, especially in the beginning of my journey, when everything that was coming to my mind as far as what was wrong with me, I was criticizing myself. And it's so easy to get into that dark hole. You also mentioned another amazing practice, which is connecting back to your inner child. And your inner child has been hurt and we still have that inner child no matter if we want to suppress it and so another practice is speaking to my inner child telling my inner child it's okay and then allowing myself to engage in play and that could be any form of like exercise could be play um, drawing reading writing could be play and as adults i feel like we forget to do that we forget that it's okay to allow ourselves to play and how did we go from children who laughed and played with our friends but then at a certain age we were told to grow up and then our lives and our mental health changed completely i wanted to turn the mic back over to you and i'd love if you could share with the audience your call to action for them today absolutely yeah right now we're still very much building but i think it's all about engaging creatives and communities right now. We know there are so many people out there, especially in the season that have cameras, that have dance skills, that are organizing their own events or have that network and saturation in their communities. So I think the call to action is very broad, but it's really anybody that's a leader in a community that vibes with this message. We would love to come in and speak as a team. We would love to do media capture and collaborate. If you're a media capture or somebody that has an artistic skill, and you would like to reach out to us in some way and find a collaboration there. Coming in 2021 and probably even later this year, we'll be doing some events here, some fashion advocacy events with runway shows, uh, thematic presentations done through dance, done through visual arts. Any of that stuff is stuff we would love submissions for, things where people can get out and just create, um, especially even as the protests are going on. If there's creators out there, I was out last night connecting with them as they were going through the march, just looking for anybody with a camera or even if they're super passionate about their iPhone, enabling people to be where they are and use what they already have to tell a story is what we want to do. Um, people that are engaged in any kind of government or leadership level in the communities, maybe you run a club at college and this is something that you want your students to hear or your communities where you are to hear. Again, that's another place we can collaborate. 
think about an event we could do, ways we could partner in that regard. We really just want people to find their artistic skill or where they're connected in at and tie our message and allow them to voice how they connect with it and reach greater audiences through saturation that way. Um, yeah, that's kind of where we are. Like I said, as we're building the documentary as much capture as we can have. That would be awesome. I know a lot of the stuff on our Instagram, people see it and they think I shot it all or whatnot. That's very not true. A lot of it's not actually mine. We've engaged so many creatives just from the Phoenix area, Los Angeles, whatever it might be. They come out to shoots. They can help with wardrobe, storyboarding, editing. There's lots of good things that we can engage people in that allows for training since we have so many people on our team that are well-versed and excelled in that. And that's also something that I know a lot of creators want. Um, so yeah, those are the kinds of things that we have available. It's really wide open. I'm open for ideas. That's kind of where we've been at. And as we move forward, we'll see where the different opportunities go, but that's the space we're in. Collaboration and communication right now is so important now more than ever um, and telling the stories that need to be told. So how can people find you? So we are on Instagram it's at Mahalia Project and then MahaliaProject.com is our website. Um, if people want to get in contact with me directly, it's Daniel V at MahaliaProject.com. And so those are the best ways to get in contact with us. We also have forms on the website. You can fill out drop down menu specific. Do you just want more information? Are you interested in collaboration? Um, yeah. And even if people just need friends to talk to, I mean, my team, you know, are all people I trust to handle these situations with care and wisdom. And from a non-biased, non-judgment place, just talk to people. Um, we've never built this off of the idea that we want to be huge or massive. I've always felt that it's going to grow organically exactly as it should. But our work is always about that one person. There's always the time for the one conversation and really opening that space to say, hey, we have time to talk to you directly. We don't ever want to be detached from that. So, yeah, that's where we are and that's what we're doing. Um, we'll have some probably other Instagram pages up as we grow here and some film work. but. That's where we are for now. I'm so blessed to have connected with you. Uh, thank you for your time and for Absolutely. being vulnerable here at this space and telling your story. Thank you for the work that you continue to do. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for lending me your time today. If you found a moment of Zen through this episode, I kindly ask that you leave a review on iTunes so that this message might reach more people. For daily positivity and to join a community of awesome humans, follow us on Instagram at ThePositiveAF.